You're listening to The Basics of Church Membership, a Sunday school series taught by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Starting us a new series this morning, uh, only four weeks long. We, we, several months ago now, had a like new members kind of Sunday school to uh, help people understand who we are, where we came from, what we're all about, and the need and the importance of being part of a church. And since that time, we have had an influx of lots and lots of people who have come and uh, asking to, to sit down and talk about the church and what we're about and what it means to be a part of it. And, and one week, Dan and I had like, like seven interviews that we had. And so we thought, instead of having so many interviews, we would just do this again. And so for the folks who are newer... Um, we want to introduce the church to you and who we are, where we came from, what we're about. As a matter of fact, today we'll talk about where we came from and the culture of our church, which is important for you to know. And as we go through the lessons, we'll speak about what makes us distinct as Baptists. We'll talk about what it means to be part of a church, and then we'll look at our church covenant as we, we wrap it up. So that's where we're headed this morning. I'm glad that you've come. So for the folks that are new, we want to introduce the church to you. For the folks who have been here for a long time now, we want to remind you, all right? And many of you will be reminded this morning of who we are and where we've come from. So as folks are filtering in, let's just start real casual this morning. By the way, um, for this morning, at any time, you can stop me. Um, you can ask questions. You can ask for clarification because I really do want you to understand who we are and what we're about. There'll be a stage or a portion of this. is It's sort of historical. I don't want to lose you, but it's really important that we understand um, where we came from and what strain that we follow um, as we call ourselves the church this morning. So let's start by doing this if we can. Um, and this, don't be awkward by this, but just because there's so many new faces, can we just tell our names quickly and then we'll get into it? So, and if you need help, I'll help you. My name's Rick, by the way, if you don't know. This is... Whoa, whoa, hey, Jake, just relax. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a rough start already. Um, Jake just wanted me to recognize his birthday from that last week, and I didn't say it. So happy birthday, Jake. Um, all right, yeah, you clap for him. <laughs> all right, Jake, that's Jake, good. Becky, Shirley. Okay, Mark, go ahead. Oh, Roger. Oh, good. I, so my goodness. Okay. Roger. Tammy. Joy, you did really good. Good job. Good job. Don. Laura. Tasha. Josh. Duck, duck, goose. Effie. Sure. This is the first name, Pastor. No, it's not. It's not Pastor. I've been called worse than that. Rainy. Rainy. Rebecca. Rebecca. Okay. Yes. And Dana, awesome. Good. Let's start with what's going. We'll just I decide. No, no, Seville, you, you started early because he was messing around behind you. He was making eyes at somebody, and he didn't know it was, Adam didn't know it was his turn. Good job. Awesome. Good job, everybody. You all passed with flying colors. Well, most of you did. 
too messed up. Nancy and Char- um, Charlene are coming in this morning. Good to have them. We just introduced everybody, so don't be embarrassed that you're late to Sunday school class. It's not about that. We just wanted to make sure we got your names this morning. Let's begin then with a word of prayer, and then we'll start this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your kindness and grace. Thank you for the folks who are here. And I just pray that you'd help us get an understanding of um, your church and this church and the culture of this church. I thank you for what you've done. Lord, I pray that you protect us and watch over us. Lord, I pray for the preaching of your word this morning as Brother Andrew brings it. I pray that you would speak by your spirit to the hearts of your people. And Lord, I pray that you would just work in our midst. May we be changed because of what we hear this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Erica, welcome. I'm just giving names as people are coming in. Take your Bibles this morning. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. That's where we'll begin today. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Jesse and Melissa, welcome. Good to have you. Acts 20, 28. I don't know what it is, but they're writing books now with smaller print. I don't understand that. It's strange how things have just shrunk down over the years. Same with pant sizes. Acts chapter 20, verse number 28. This is Paul's address to the church. He knows that he will not see the church in Ephesus, this, this group again. And these are sort of his last words and challenge to them. He says in verse number 28, talking to the elders of the church, which, by the way, is a plurality. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Take heed, therefore, unto, the, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Um, The church of Jesus Christ is of the utmost importance to God the Father, to the Savior, and to the Spirit. Um, It has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I agree with what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, that church is the dearest place on earth. And the fact of the matter is, Um, If you're in a good church, you would say amen. If you're in a bad church, you would say, oh man, because it can be bad. It can be very bad, but that's not God's plan. The church is important, and we want to get this right. We must get this right. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I want to just sort of at first just um, give you an overall view of the church on where it came from how it came into being, and then we're going to narrow it down on this church, on how we came about. And uh, listen, don't don't get lost in the historical part of this because um, it's important that you know where we, as evangelicals, come from. Because there's a lot of talk today about the Roman church being the the true church, the church that's been around for 2,000 years, and evangelicals are somewhat of the Johnny-come-latelys, the new kids on the block, And I want to show you this morning that that's not the case. True evangelicalism is from the beginning. And that's the umbrella we find ourselves under. And under that umbrella, we'll talk in a couple weeks about what it means to be Baptistic in our polity and our teaching. So let's talk this morning about the early church. And I I may have to put my glasses on because some of these notes are in small print. So bear with me. But the fact of the matter is that God um, creates a people by his word. Always. 
From the beginning of creation, it was the word. Then he calls out Abraham. You remember a story in the Old Testament of the dry bones and God speaking through the word and bringing life. And then Jesus Christ himself is the word incarnate in the flesh. And so we are people of the word. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But the word of God saves us. We are born again. And we're not saved to be individuals. And this is something that the West and our Western culture must fight against. God did not save you, nor did he save me, to be an individual outside of a body of believers, worshiping by yourself in isolation or in the woods. I know for some of us that sounds appealing, but that's not God's plan. He has saved you by his word, and he has placed you in a body called the church. The church is not man's idea. We did not come up with the church. It was God's idea. Jesus Christ himself founded it. He commissions it. He builds it. And he is the ruler of the church. Every church. His church. And from the beginning, um, we have seen that the true church has had heresies and false teachings that just creep in. And this should not surprise us. From the early days, think about... Um, uh, early uh, Gnosticism in the book of Colossians, we find this idea that Christ was just spiritual and that man and, and flesh is evil and spirit is good. The book of Colossians and a little bit in the book of First John. We found gross immorality in the true church of Corinth and it had to be dealt with. And then even this impartiality where people thought they were better than someone else in the book of James. And we see that over and over again in the New Testament that, that letters were written to help the church that was struggling to get back on track. And you'll see that over history, true church has always gone back to the word of God to see how to correct problems and issues and to make sure that we are rightly dividing the word and following the word. And in these problems and issues that arise, some good things came up. Uh, the church repeatedly returned to the scripture uh, and agreed with what the Bible really teaches. And some of our great confessions come out of times when the church gathered together, like the Nicene Creed, and said, no, listen, these are heresies. This is false teaching. This is what the church truly believes. And so uh, we need to keep that in mind. And the early church did that. And not only did they do that, but they sealed that with their lives. And I think for many of us, we take the church for granted. Um, we can take it or leave it. But early believers understood the importance of the word of God. And they were willing to give their life for what they believed. It started all the way in Acts chapter 7 with Stephen, the first martyr. And it continued for at least a couple years under severe persecution by the Roman emperors. And then something happened. Constantine became emperor. In 311, he was the emperor of the Roman Empire, which was vast, cruel, and not friendly to believers until he said that he had an experience, he met the Savior, and in 313, he issued the Edict of Milan. And in that edict, Christianity became uh, tolerated. It was no longer a crime. You no longer had to give a, a prayer or a pinch to the emperor, um, and now it was tolerated. And something very interesting happened. Before this time, only 10% of the Roman Empire would call themselves believers. 10% of the population. And it makes sense, right? It wasn't a game. It wasn't a joke. You didn't play with it. Because you knew, as many of our brothers and sisters in the world today know, 
When you named the name of Christ, literally, your life was on the line. Many believers lost their lives in the first 200 years of the church. So this edict now is decreed, Christianity is tolerated, and when it is, from 10% of the population within 100 years, 10% of the population called themselves Christians. After about 100 years, 90% of the population called themselves Christians. Now, don't get excited about that. Because what has happened is this, that now that Christianity was officially recognized by the Roman emperor and by Rome, it was advantageous now to be in the church. And so people who did not know Christ, who weren't interested in Christ, came into the church, and this is when we start to see lots and lots of changes. Lots of changes. Um, The church grew, um, not only geographically, but it grew in power, with now bishops becoming like monarchs over the church. And over the centuries, um, various reforms were attempted to correct and make these adjustments to bring us back to the word. And so you'll see that from, from this edict in 313 all the way up until about 1054, there were different movements to bring the church back to the scriptures. And then in 1054, the East and the West split, right? The Roman Catholic Church split with the Eastern Church over issues of the Pope's authority and his overreach and with the Holy Spirit. And some doctrines there that they didn't agree with. Um, and so the East now splits from the West. We, we are not part of the East. Our, our roots don't come from the Eastern Church. We're still in the Western Church under what we call today Roman Catholicism. It was the church at the time. But things in the West went from bad to worse. And here's where we see lots of things being added to the church that were never part of the original church. Um, and, and many of you know this, um, the idea of confessions the idea of penance, uh, the idea of indulgences, the idea of Mary being exalted to a place she was never to be exalted, and it was problematic. And, And listen, there are traditions that are not bad. We all have traditions, right? We, we all do things as families. We all do things at churches that are traditional. But when the traditions supersede the scripture in the body of Christ, we're in trouble. And this has always been a problem as, as we look at the history of the church. And so in, in 1517, I know you know the story about the monk from Wittenberg, Martin Luther. Um, it, it is said that one day he was listening to a man who was selling indulgences. And an indulgence was you could buy forgiveness of your sins before you committed them. Knowing that I'm about to commit adultery, I'll buy an indulgence and I will be okay. And one guy, I think his name was John Tetzel, um, he was walking the streets and, and Luther heard him say, When the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from tur- purgatory springs. And it was an idea for the church to gather money from from peasants to build, really, a cathedral. And so you could buy these indulgences to sin or to free someone from purgatory. And when Luther saw that, it really troubled him. He, he then took the 95 Thesis and, and nailed it to the church on Wittenberg. And again, this was not some, oh my goodness, he's defacing the church. This is where these theses would be put on the doors to be debated. And he was upset about this. At the same time, he was working his way through what it was to to bring peace with God, how a holy God could forgive justly sinful men and women. 
And of course, you know the story, Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith, changed his life. He understood what salvation was about. The church at the time had no place for this. They were not going to be reformed. And just that you know, Luther was not looking to start a new denomination at all. He was looking to truly reform the church. And by this time, the church was too far gone to be reformed. And so he left. Of course, today we have Lutheranism. But during this time, lots of reformers start emerging all over Europe. You have Zwingli, um, Calvin, Bucer, and Kramer. Uh, Kramer is in England. And they're popping up all over the place. And, and among the Protestants now, there were three major groups. There were the Lutherans that, that Martin Luther started. And in the Lutherans, they, they did believe um, in the gospel and the authority of scripture, but, but they didn't leave uh, that far from the Roman Catholic Church. There were a lot of similarities there. Then there were the Anabaptists. And the Anabaptists rejected infant baptism, um, but sometimes they also rejected original sin, civil authority, and they embraced path pacifism. And you might think, sitting in a Baptist church, well, that has to be our line now. From Not from the east and now a split from the west. We must be Anabaptists. We are not from that line. We're not. From that line today, the churches in the, in the states would be the Amish community and the Mennonite community come from this strain. And there was a third strain among these uh, groups during these, the, the Reformation, which were re- Reformed churches, Presbyterian, Congregationalist, and the Church of England. And this is a group that today Baptists take their cues from. Um, in the 17th century, John Smith, who was an Anglican priest, um, had a congregation studying the Word of God. And in the study of the Word of God, he decided that the Anglican church had become corrupt. And so he became a Puritan. And then, I think this is probably Baptistic in a sense, but then from Puritanism, um, he went to Holland, and then he became a separatist, right? And this really is the roots of the Baptist faith. Um, he, he realized that the Church of England had become corrupt, that his baptism in that church was void, that the New Testament proclaimed a believer's baptism, and that there was something to be said about regenerated church membership. And so this is the start of what we call the Baptist churches um, in the 17th century, um, from here, uh, it came to the United States by Roger Williams in Rhode Island. And, and in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, um, Baptist churches exploded in North America. Um, and they did really well until uh, the 19th century. Uh, liberalism, especially from Germany, came over to America and Canada and infiltrated the churches. And what they were teaching at the time was that... Um, uh, there was no virgin birth, that Jesus Christ was just a man. They didn't believe in anything supernatural, nor the resurrection or the, uh, the infallibility of the Word of God. And so what's happening now, these Baptist and Presbyterian churches were coming under the sway of liberalism, and it was destroying churches. By the way, liberalism always destroys churches. And they may start out with good intentions, like we want to feed, just feed the poor, take care of our community, and we're all, we're all in favor of those things. But when you start knocking away the authority of the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's just a matter of time before the church dies. And if you don't believe that, look at our mainline churches today. They're dying. And for some of them, they should have been dead a long time ago. There is no life there. And so the Baptists and Presbyterians, aware of this, 
were concerned. And this is where we have the fundamental movement come to play in the early 1900s when they saw these things happening. And the fundamentalist, and I know that's a word that is used in disdain today, but, but what it meant was we believe in the fundamentals of the faith we believe in the authority of the word of God. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in miracles. And these things were written. Books were passed out. And so the fundamentalists then um, practiced ecclesiastical separation. They left those churches because they saw that those churches were dead and could not be turned around. And the fundamentals, a fundamentalist, were right in that sense. It was a great divorce. And in the divorce, they lost all the furniture. They lost the home, they lost the universities, they lost everything. They separated from those churches and took a stand in, in biblical separation. Um, but what happened in fundamentalism is that they became so issue-orientated that for many of them, they quit preaching the word um, and exegeting the word. A lot of those churches even today that, that we're actually part of that strain, um, they're very topical and political. They sort of lost the idea of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and going through the word of God. So in the 1940s then, there was another movement among believers, and it was called at the time New Evangelicalism. And they were concerned, they were fundamental in their faith, but they did not want Christians to just separate from society to a point where they didn't impact society. So they were more concerned with school and education and, 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 and being salt and light in those institutions. And, and, and from, the, from that group comes men like Billy Graham, Carl Henry, Stott, and J.I. Packer. And so if you're asking for us this morning where we fit in, the early church starts, the West is broken, it splits, the East goes that way, the West continues to, to sort of um, degrade, and then the Reformation comes in the 1500s, Luther goes this way, sort of still with a little bit of Calvin, uh, uh, Catholicism, and then this group of Reformed churches where we find our, our way in Baptist the, uh, policy, and we are somewhere between fundamentalism and evangelicalism. Does that make sense? You did really well, class. And so far, any questions on that at all? Okay? So, yes, go ahead. Anglican churches, Episcopal churches, um, some Catholic churches. As a matter of fact, in our town, uh, the five Catholic churches, they're going to be down to two pretty soon. Because they're empty. They're just empty, right? And so those are the mainline churches. Good question. Anything else to clarify on that? Okay, so that's where we come from in the big picture. Now let's zoom in in. in. Where do we come from? Because we're not that old. We come from that line of fundamentalism. This church was actually started in 1978. 1978. It started with a group of believers who were fundamental in their ideas and their faith, loved the word of God, and, and saw that Chatham needed a church. And so they start meeting just around the corner here, uh, off of somewhere off of St. Michael's. Not exactly sure. Some of you folks can fill me in, actually, because you've been here longer than I have. Um, Sylvester Street, in a house on Sylvester Street. Joanne, were you there at that? But you know of that. Okay. What's that, sister? Pastor Snar was the first pastor. Absolutely. And so they started out there, and uh, at least by 1982, the building was built here on this property. Uh, it was originally called Maple City Baptist Temple. 
was the name of the church. And so with a small group of believers, this property is eight, well, it was eight and a half acres. I think it's now eight acres or so. But this property was purchased by a man named Dick Brisson, who used to run the carpet place over on um, Crazy Corners, Kent Bridge. Anybody remember that? I don't know. But, he, but Buku Bucks at the time, selling carpet like crazy. McKay's Corner. That's right. And when I, when I first came here, um, this church had carpet on the walls. That's how much carpet. So red carpet everywhere. He was the carpet king. And it was, I'm sure it had a purpose in the 70s and maybe the 80s. But by the time I got here in 2000, it was, it was not, it was ugly. And so <laughs> literally, right? It was terrible. Um, but they had good hearts. And so they started the church. He bought this property on a handshake. The farmer was selling it. And he, they made a price. The price was a steal. And after they shook hands, um, the lawyer of the farmer told him to cancel the deal. This was a bad deal for him. He could have gotten so much more. And the farmer said, my word is my word. And they sold the property. There's so many stories about how this church came to being in the early days. Because the church actually built the building. They, they did everything here. And they told them they couldn't find, they couldn't find water on this property. And Dick Brisson believed they could. They dug a well right out here and found water that sustained the church for years and years and years. And then there was one day where they had to get um, the trusses on. And there was a storm, a violent storm coming. And they had to get them on. And Dick Brisson told me the story. He went out there and prayed. And the storm split um, right in half. And they got the trusses on. So it's a wonderful history, wonderful memory. Some of the people who started here are still here. Joanne Bailey and uh, Joanne, not she, it wasn't she, it was Tebow at the time. Tebow's were all here. The Archibalds, McKenley's, um, St. Jean's, uh, there's, there's plenty more. Who's that? Arthurton's. Arthurton's, right? Lots of families that are still here today and we thank God for them. So um, this church had five pastors um, before I got here. And the church had really good times and, and really hard times. There were several splits in the early years. Um, and when we came here in 2001, we were invited to come and just to fill the pulpit at first. And I'll never forget, what you see here was not here. This was, this was a long, dark hallway. And this was not the platform at the time. And this, this auditorium was closed. They, they weren't using it anymore because they were down to 23 people. They were meeting in what was the fellowship hall, which is now the office area there and part of my office. And when I came, I remember there was a piano in the fellowship hall um, and just seats set up. And I came, Kim and I came with our three boys, AJ, Greg, David. Later we would get Andy. We would add him as well. We thank God for that. And uh, we came here and we just filled the pulpit. And um, I just remember the first message I preached was from the book of James. And the congregation sat there and it was almost like just life like the word was being preached, people were, were sitting up, there was an excitement. So I left, and I, I thought, well, that was interesting. And they called back, and they wanted to know if I'd actually candidate for the church. And uh, I'd been in Bridgeport for 10 years. I was a youth pastor. The church was about 1,500 people. It was a great, great church, great ministry. Um, and it didn't make any sense to come here. Zero sense. Um, they offered, well, I came here, we, we had the interview, and then the three deacons at the time, which were Bob, Wood, Woods were the other ones, Wood, Sam Archibald, and another guy named Mike, said, listen, we, we want to vote on you. We want you to come, and uh, we don't have any money. <laughs> okay, that's check one. That's, I'm in. Um, we have the manse next door. You can live there for free. 
and we can give you $100 a week. And, um, and we said yes. We, said, we, knew, we knew that this was the place that God wants to be. And God has blessed. We slowly began to grow and things changed. In 2005, um, a very young, young couple um, who, were, who had just finished one year of Bible school uh, came for a visit. And uh, they actually stayed up in the house on Saturday nights. We, we talked all night. And Sunday morning, I was pulling out of the driveway and I backed up into their car and crushed it. It was terrible. I had to wake them up and say, I just ruined your car. Um, and after that, I felt really bad, so we had to hire Dan and Tara Christians. Um, <laughs> No, they came. They're just kids. I mean, they were... Tara, how old were you guys? No, I was younger. When was Avery born? 19. At least 19. Yeah. Um, And they've only been here for three years. And so um, they were just kids, and they came, and they they worked on their own for like maybe two years. They just worked because we would check the offerings every Sunday night to see if we could get paid. And that's how it went. And they were actually glorious times. Glorious times. And so they came and they joined us. And, and since then, um, you, you see the fruit of that. The church has continued to grow. And we just thank God for it. And uh, we now have, we have four elders, myself, Dan, Tom, and Andrew. We'll, we'll, I'm sure, add more soon. And we only have four deacons right now, but we look to add maybe six more. Um, they're Travis, Dave, Travis Peters, Dave McKinley, Justin Egan, and... Did I say David Kenley? Dave? Oh, Dennis Floyd. Thank you. Thank you. Don't tell him. It's been recorded. Sorry. I love Dennis. He's a great guy. Just my mind is all over the place. So, so that is the history of our church. In the weeks ahead, I want to talk to you about our structure. Uh, we are congregationally ruled. I'll discuss that. And elder-led. That might be different for some folks here. Um, and we practice regenerated membership. But we'll talk about that. What I'd like to do in the last few minutes that we have is I, I want to just um, talk to you a little bit about the culture of our church. Uh, the culture of our church. Let me just find my place where i got all kinds of stuff sitting here, and I just can't. Um, one, two. Um, I put that somewhere. What in the world have I done here? Okay. I should know the Okay, I'm just going to go with the culture of our church. Um, I don't know where that page is at. So, so this is our church. We're Maple City Baptist Church. But there's a culture to this church. And you know this. You, you, you'll walk into churches and you will get a vibe on what the church is about. And, and already, if you've been here for any length of time, I'm sure you've gotten a vibe of what this church is about. And I congratulate you for staying. All right? There, there is a vibe about this church. There are things that are important to our culture as a church. We are evangelicals. We are Baptists, but there are things that we really do focus on, and you need to know them, because these things do not change, and they will not change. We're thankful for people who come. We love the fact that God has brought us so many great people over the years, but just so that you know, when you come to this place, we are not joining you. We're here. You're joining us. And we take great suggestions. We've made changes over the year because people brought in great ideas. But there's a culture here that will not change. Okay, And let me just tell you, the first part of our culture is this. The Word of God. It is of the utmost importance here. Um, we are people of the book. Of the book. 
If you're looking for smells and bells, you're not going to find it here. You're not. You're going to find the word of God opened and preached unapologetically. That's all we have. There is, we're not smart enough. We're not charismatic enough. We're not intelligent enough. Um, we're not savvy enough. Because those things don't build the life of the people of God. It is the man of God preaching the word of God to the people of God that the Spirit of God uses to change us into the image of the Son of God. That's it. And we believe that. This is what we live by. And so if you're looking for something else, if you're looking for psychology and nothing wrong with psychologists, if you're looking for self-help, if you're not going to be happy here. You're just not. Because you're going to hear the Word of God over and over again. Um, there are things that we can have and we can enjoy. We can enjoy choirs and Sunday school and youth departments and kids club. But we must have the preaching of the word of God. It is life. Let me just give you quickly a couple ideas about how the word of God does impact us. Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We understand that. It's the word of God that guides and directs. Proverbs 4, 20-22. My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all flesh. We want healing. We want, okay, we want to follow the path. The word is a path. We want healing in our lives. It's the word of God. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 9. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? It is the word of God as, as it's proclaimed and preached. Listen, I wish I could change the hearts of human beings. I can't. And there are times in the ministry that, that pastors want more for their people than they want for themselves. But you can't make people do that. It's the word of God faithfully preached that will break the hearts, hard hearts of men and women. And we've seen it happen. We've seen it happen in our church. The loss coming to Christ, marriages being restored, relationships being healed. Why? Because we're smart? No, because the word of God is alive and active. It's active in this place. Um, we live by it. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, also in Deuteronomy, but by the, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then this is a great text, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. We preach it, we proclaim it, and we let the chips fall where they may. Just so that you know, if you're here, you're going to hear the word of preach in such a way that will be countercultural. Because the word of God in every culture is countercultural. And just so that you know, um, more of our culture being against what we believe is coming. If you thought COVID was a bad deal, I don't know that you understand of the religious liberties we have lost in two years. We have lost. They're gone. They're not coming back. And, and our courts are agreeing with our government. So come on, everybody, be happy. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's the truth. And so if you get nervous about someone preaching... About, about marriage and about sexuality and about greed and corruption, um, you're going to have trouble.
because we're not going to bend on this areas. So the word of God, this culture is a culture. We want to be people of the book. That's it. Number two, the gospel. The gospel. Um, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the only hope that we have. Um, the fact is that we don't grow away from the gospel when we're saved. We grow in the gospel. We grow in it. Matter of fact, Brother Tom just had that series on all of the issues we face. And I hope that was helpful to you. Lots of good things in there. But you know, it all roots itself in the gospel. Because the gospel says, I am a sinner. I am flawed, failed. My heart and life is broken. I need new life. I need salvation through Christ. And through the gospel of Christ, I don't have to be what I once was. Because Christ died and his blood cleanses me. But not only that, his blood empowers me to have victory over all the sin in my life. All of it. I don't have to, to become under sway. Listen, we are dead now to that. We have been risen in Christ. And so when it comes to dealing with my greed, my lust, my envy, my pride, my anger, and the list goes on and on, we find healing and help in the gospel of Jesus Christ because it brings me back down to who I really am. And if that grace has been bestowed on me, I can give that grace to others and myself and see God change me. So, so it's the word of God. It's the gospel of God. I, I, I make this challenge. I, I know this is a fact. Over the last 21 years, if you've sat in our services, there will not be one service or one event or one sort of informal meeting of believers that you will not hear the gospel. It, it will be addressed. It will be spoken of. We will glory in it. We will point each other back to the gospel. We do communion every month. Why? We want our people, once again, to relive the gospel, right? So if the gospel offends you, you're lost. You're lost. We need to embrace it and love it and hold it high. So the word of God, the gospel of God is our culture. And number three, loving one another. Loving one another. Listen to me. And I'm not, this is the truth. We have something really good here. Like really good here. We have a church of imperfect people who get on each other's nerves. And that starts from the, the top down. That guy. Down. We, we, we have run-ins. We have disagreements. We hurt one another unintentionally. Um, we sin against one another. But there's a sense in this church that the Great Commission must be seen. Of the Great Commandments. To love God and to love one another. And there's something in a church that believes that and has unity that draws the attention of the world. This world is not unified in anything. In anything. I mean, you look around and there's, there's contention, there's strife, there's anger everywhere. But when you come to this church, we really strive for unity because we really want to love one another. And the fact of the matter is, this is God's plan. He sticks us into a church with people who are nothing like us. Like nothing. You look around today, and we have all, all walks of life. Rich, poor, young, old, black, white, educated, uneducated. They're all here. And that's the way it should be. And if you'll notice, if you're in a growth group, it's not. we don't have target groups that we're going after. 
Like we want, you know, young urban professionals. That's who we're targeting. No, we're targeting sinners. Because they're everywhere. And so there is not, there is not this idea of this is the right group in the church and this is the clique that we're part of and this is our group and we're better than everyone else. That, if it's happening, it will be crushed because that's not what we want and, and we, we are all prone to get comfortable like that but we don't want that here. We want to truly love one another in Christ and when that's done and the church is unified, man, the world takes note of that and people take note of that and so we want to love one another um, it's important. And it really is a sign that we know him. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, who was a great preacher years gone by, um, was a brilliant man. He was actually the second to, uh, I don't know, the, the royal doctor in England. He, he was brilliant, but goes into ministry. And when he goes into ministry, his first pastorate is in this podunk village. He's highly educated, like the second in command to the medical field uh, under the queen, and he goes to this little village of these just, I don't know, they're just poor, um, uneducated farmers and fishermen and nothing in common. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says that after a certain time there, he began to love them, truly love them. They had nothing in common. And that's when he knew that this, this, is, what, this is what it's all about, loving these people. And so it's incumbent upon you and our, and our members that this has to be perpetuated. It's not easy. We need to get outside of our comfort zones to meet people, to talk to people, to fellowship with people, to invite them over, to get to know them. Um, and, and part of this for me is, um, okay, one more story, I'll stop. Um, is, um, I had a really bad experience when I was a kid going to a Baptist church. The church I grew up in was a great church, 2,000 members in Cleveland. Still 2,000 members. It's a great church. But I was a kid from downtown Cleveland, our house was broken. My dad had left. My mom was raising three boys. And we were poor. Like, we were poor. And I know there, there, there are levels of poverty that I don't understand. But I, I did understand poverty where the church was bringing us groceries, appliances, government subsidies, the great blocks of big cheese, um, which were fantastic. Um, so... We, we get introduced to a church, and we're going there, and it was sort of sporadic. It started at 7. But then when I became a teenager, I was only 12, actually, I went up to a youth group, and here were kids in a Christian school there, and their families were well-established in the church. And this happened to Kim, too, on a different occasion. That's where we're both like this. And I walked in. I remember the Sunday morning I came. I used to have, I had, I had 70s hair, right, which was, uh, you know what I mean? And this, it, it, was, it, was, it was hideous, of course. And I remember, and we get up in the morning, I, we were dressed like bums. You know, we get to church and we're still wiping the sleep out of our eyes. My hair's all over the place. And my mom would do one of these things. like. <laughs> so you smelled like spit when you went in there. And it was just pat it all down. And, uh, but I wet my hair and combed it all back. And so I go up to this room of teenagers and, pro- I don't know, 70, 80 kids. I walk in, I know no one there. I, I knew one kid there. So I'm standing there, and they're singing a song. And you know when every eye is on you, right, that you're the, you're the oddball. You're the, you're the man out. And so I was there, and a group of girls were sitting behind me. And I heard them say, who does he think he is, the Fonz? Remember the Fonz? Anybody remember the Fonz? Yeah. All right. All right. Some of you have no idea. God bless you. Um, uh, who does he think he is, the Fonz? And they made fun of me the entire time. 
and never wanted to go back. I told my mom, I'll never go back again. The same thing happened to Kim. They made fun of her because she wasn't wearing nylons at 12. She wore socks. I guess it was not cool, all right? And, made, and we had just a bad experience. And so we made it our goal as we grew in Christ never to have anyone feel like that when they come through a church. Never. My boys, they knew that if you ever acted like that to people who came to church, I would kill you. Literally. Not literally. I'm, I'm very harsh with what I say sometimes. Um, but it so impacted me in such a negative way that I don't want anyone to ever come to this church and feel as if we don't want you here. Because that should never be the case. And so, just know this. And, and I'm not, what I'm saying this morning, I'm not puffing up our... I'm just telling you, for 21 years, I've watched this church. I know our culture. It is the word of God. It's the gospel of God. It's a place of love and unity. And so, if you have other plans than that, just this won't be for you. And that's okay. And by the time we're done with what, what, what you see and understand is what, what this church does as a Baptist church, you might not want to be here. And that's okay, too. We want people to be saved. We want them to grow in grace. And for some folks, they've got to grow in grace someplace else. But just so that you know, and there's practical things. Maybe I'll talk next week about the practical things of unity. Right about, yeah, we'll do that. So I'll stop with that. Any questions, comments this morning? Thank you for coming. And, and thanks for the folks who are already members of our church. We've been here for a long time and have to listen to this again and again. Thank you for being here. Any questions or comments at all? Because I'll answer, I'll answer any question you have this morning. All right? None? Ronald. Great question. Hmm. Hmm. I don't have homework. I should have homework. That's a great question. See, we're disorganized here too, if you know that. Um, um, homework. Um, yeah, you know what? This is, this is probably good. Homework. Read Acts chapter 2. See how the church started, how people became part of it, and what they did. Especially starting, well, read the whole thing, but especially 41 to the end. Thank you, Ronald. Thank Ronald for homework this week. All right? He's, that's him. All right? Good job. And he won't be back next week, so it doesn't. I don't know you're coming back to this place. All right. Mark. Oh, good. Mm. Good question. I'll repeat the question. Why is it that we're not part of a fellowship or uh, an association? What are the benefits and, and uh, the disadvantages of that? So this church started out as an independent, um, independent uh, fundamental Baptist church. And, and so what that means is that, and this is probably gonna, we'll probably carry this out, but just quickly, and we'll go back to this, because that's a really good question. So an independent church truly is independent, which means that the congregation makes all the decisions for that church. So like when money comes into this church, it's not siphoned out someplace else for other organizations. The church decides where it goes to. And so, so that's a plus. And congregationally ruled churches, I think, um, are, are first biblical, and I think they're very practical because everything that happens, this congregation does. Um, there are benefits to associations, right? You, you, uh, like the Southern Baptists, which are making inroads here in Canada as well, but um, they have uh, help and they assist pastors and programs. Uh, they all collectively support missions, which is a good thing. I think one of the problems with associations is that if you're too, uh, too um, close to those associations, when they go bad, right, the church has a, the problem maybe going bad with that as well. And sometimes associations do things that bring a stain on all the churches under that umbrella. So there's that. 
But just so that you know, it's not as if we're on an island. We do have associations and fellowships that are loosely held that we do with other churches. As a matter of fact, we're leaving on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with our youth group to a group of churches um, who are just not exactly like us. But they preach the word and they love Jesus. And so we have those kind of relationships. But there's nothing written down that makes us follow an association um, or a specific group. So, But that's a good question, Mark. There are benefits to it. But we just see biblically it's congregational. And that it's much easier to allow the congregation to decide where we're going, what we're doing, where we're spending, and the missionaries that we'll take on. Good. That's a good question. Good. Any other questions? Sometimes that... Maybe we'll talk more about that next week. All right. Well, that's all I have for you this morning. Thank you for staying. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for the homework for next week. And uh, get your heart ready. Brother Andrews will be preaching in a few minutes. God bless you. We'll see you in a bit. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.